Genesis chapter number 22. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. Read down to verse number 14. The Word of God says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and will come again unto you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And they went both of them together. Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. Abraham built an altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. The angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, Neither do thou anything unto him, for now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for the Holy Spirit that uses Your Word, His sword, to pierce our hearts. And I pray that this morning, Lord, every heart's need would be met according to Your will. Father, I pray that as You meet these needs, we would receive the help that You give us. Father, we would surrender and submit ourselves unto You and our lives unto You this morning. Lord, that you might gain the glory. Father, I recognize my inability this morning, and I confess before this group of people, Lord, that without you I am nothing. Without you I can do nothing. And so if something takes place, or if anything takes place today, Lord, all the glory belongs to you. And I pray, Father, that you would do it in a way that they would see it was you. And Father, that they'd praise your holy name for it. If there's one amongst us that's lost and undone, I pray that this morning would be the last morning that they would leave a church house lost, but that they would come to know Your Son as their precious Savior. Father, we love You. We don't love You near as much as You love us. But Lord, thank You for loving us and teach us to love You more. We ask all these things in the precious and immaculate name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm sure that there's no one in this room that's not read this passage before. 
fact, I know there's not because you just read it with me. Amen. And I'm sure that in this room there's probably uh, nobody or maybe just a handful, if any, that have not heard messages preached on this passage before. We are right now in a gold mine of biblical typology. You read this passage, and if you don't see our Lord and Savior, go back, read it again, and pay attention this time, because you'll see Him all through it. You'll see Him as the submissive Son that walked His way up Mount Moriah's hill to be offered. You'll see Him as the angel of the Lord that stops the hand of Abraham the patriarch. You'll see Him as the ram caught by His horns as the future substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. All through this passage, you'll see pictures of Christ. You'll see pictures of God the Father. You'll see pictures of the fallen sinner. We could call this uh, the book of Genesis picture book because all the way through this chapter, you'll find pictures of future peoples and future events and of eternal uh, things taking place. But this morning, I do not want to preach on those pictures. This morning, I do not want to dive into typology. Probably one of my favorite subjects in the Word of God, the types and pictures uh, that are found throughout the Old Testament. But I do not want to do that this morning. I believe much attention is given to the pictures in this passage, and certainly much more will be and should be given. But I think very little emphasis is placed upon the personal crisis that is taking place in the life of Abraham in this chapter. I want to give you a word, and I want you to consider it for a moment, because it will be the theme of our message this morning. Could I give to you the word surrender? We're familiar with that word. In fact, I was just joking uh, with uh, Brother Kerry and Brother Brand. We're up here on the platform, and I told him, I said, you, you read about that French rifle that they had for sale. They looked at me and said, what do you mean? I couldn't believe they hadn't read about it. You've heard about it. How many of y'all have heard about that French rifle they had for sale? Brother Larry has. A couple of you. It was They put it on sale for Craigslist. It was a French infantry military rifle. Beautiful rifle for sale for nearly nothing on Craigslist. I read in the description, it said, French military rifle said, never been shot, only dropped once. Amen. You'll get that by slow freight. We're familiar with the term surrender. It's the idea of throwing the hands up. In fact, Brother Brandon had told me, I guess he's right about this, he may be lying to me, I don't know, but he said that the sign language, and some of you that know sign language may be able to confirm this, that the sign language for the word surrender is just this. To put the hands up, to walk away, to relinquish authority and to relinquish control. And we're familiar with this term, surrender. Could I pair a word with it this morning? Could I use the phrase, absolute surrender? I believe as we read Genesis chapter 22, we have a picture of what absolute surrender is. As we read this passage, we're very conscious of another word although it's not found anywhere in this chapter, and it is the word sacrifice. In fact, there's no question that a sacrifice took place upon Mount Moriah, that of the ram that was slain in the stead of Isaac. But it's interesting to me that in a passage that is so sacrificially centric that we would not find the word sacrifice anywhere. Could I propose to you that the word sacrifice used in the Word of God is a little bit different than the term sacrifice that you and I use today? 
If I was to ask a man to sacrifice something, you know what I'm asking him to do? Listen carefully. I'm asking him to give something that belongs to him to another. I'm asking him to incur a debt that another might incur a gift. I'm asking him to give away something that is rightfully his. Could I propose to you that that is not the sacrifice that's spoken of in the Word of God? You see, in the Word of God, the word sacrifice that is used reflects a ceremonial act that took place in the Old Testament. It reflects the idea of taking, and sometimes it would be a drink offering, sometimes it would be a meat offering, sometimes it would uh, be a harvest offering, something that had been uh, received from the fields and from the sweat and and, uh, blood that they had put into the ground, and they would take this and give it unto the Lord. And that was known as a sacrifice. Let me tell you something. This is what I'm driving at. Listen carefully. I think we really put a focus on sacrifice today when I think what we ought to be talking about is surrender. Because the fact of the matter is, I think we have a mentality that what we've got belongs to us in the first place. And the sacrifice that's spoken of in the Word of God is speaking of a ceremony taking place, but it is not as speaking of you and I giving something that belongs to us to another. Because let me tell you something, friend. Today, there's not a thing that belongs to you. The breath that you breathe is a gift from God. I mean, the consciousness that you have is a gift from God. I mean, the clothes that you're wearing are a gift from God. Some of us are gifted better than others. Amen. I mean, the health that you've got is a gift from God. The money in your wallet is a gift from God. The goods that you have on your person are a gift from God. The roof that slides over your head when you go to bed each night, that's a gift from God. Everything we have is a gift from God. And so I believe that the more apt word would not be sacrifice this morning, but the word surrender. Surrender has the idea of relinquishing control of something. And could I even go a step further and say that surrender has to do with the idea of giving back something that don't belong to you in the first place? You see, when a war takes place, you have two opposing sides battling for a single piece of land or for a single cause. And do you know that if you ask both sides, they'll both say it belongs to them. But let me ask you who it winds up belonging to. The person that wins. The person that has the authority. The person that has the divine right to it is the one that winds up with it. You see, when you surrender, you're just giving back something that don't belong to you anyway. I believe that today we live in a day of non-surrendering Christianity. I'd like for you to consider this question for just a moment. Ask yourself this, and I'm not asking for a verbal or visible response, but I want you to ask in your own heart, have I surrendered every single area of my life to Jesus Christ? Stop and think about that for a moment. Is there any area in which the Lord has been trying to gain my attention and my allegiance at which I have bucked against Him, at which I have held firm to my own resolution, my own independence? Is there any area of my life that I call my own and not His? I believe we live in a day where absolute surrender is still demanded, don't you? I believe that the Lord still expects surrender of His people. 
I believe that lesson is taught whenever Joshua met upon the hillside the captain of the army of the hosts of the Lord. And he said to the captain, he said, are you for me or are you against me? That's essentially what Joshua said. And our Lord and Savior looked at him. You don't have to believe it was our Lord and Savior, but I believe it was our Lord and Savior. Looked at him and said, nay, but I am come as the captain of the host of the army of the Lord. Joshua, in a symbolic sense, took and laid his sword and laid his uh, authority and laid his rank down at the feet of our Lord and Savior. Let me tell you something. That's why they won the battle. That's why a lot of us are losing the battle. That's why a lot of us are living in a defeated way. You see, we don't want to let the captain lead the army. We don't want to let the captain of our salvation lead us. We've got a problem with surrender today. We've got a problem with giving him the reins. And him the control. As we read Genesis 22, as it relates to Abraham, it is a chapter of surrender. We have the picture of a man that surrenders to God and the response of God in that surrender. We have God demanding of Abraham that which he treasures most. We have Abraham giving it over to the Lord. I wonder, is there something you're holding on to that God's trying to get a hold of? Is there something in your life that God's been dealing with you about? But you shake your head and you say, no, Lord. That's too much to ask of me. It may be your time. It may be your plans. Let me tell you something. As a teenager, and I know how teenagers are, I used to be one. Some of you used to be one too. You've done forgot, but you used to be one. And as a teenager, I thought I had everything figured out. You remember what that was like? That was a blissful, what, two, three years that it is? (laughs) When you got everything figured out before life hits and you go, whoa-oh. <laughs> I mean, I had everything figured out. And I had it figured out that I wasn't going to be a preacher. And I had it figured out that I was going to do this with my life and thus with my life. I had it figured out where I was going to live. And I had it figured out who I was going to marry. And I had it figured out where I was going to work. And I had it figured out what I was going to do. And all it took was the divine hand of God coming around, jerking the rug right out from under me before I realized that I'm not in control of this thing. But it's Almighty God that is. I want us to notice a few things in this passage. I don't know if I've made you mad this morning or not, so I'll preach quick. Amen. But uh, I want you to notice, first off, the request that God gives. God asks some things. Can I tell you something? You better get used to God asking things of you. I mean, I, I know, I understand this is not one of them snap, crackling, popping sermons. I've not done a backflip yet, and I just may not this morning. But I'm trying to give you some truth this morning. God may and will and is going to ask some things of you. And if you've got a problem with God asking some things of you, and you know that God is not going to ask something of you except it's something you don't want to give up, because if you didn't, if you was willing to give it up, He wouldn't have to ask you for it in the first place. And if God asks some things of you, you're going to have to get used to the idea that He's God and you're not. You're going to have to get used to the idea that you don't have it all figured out. But, hey, neighbor, He has it all figured out. You're going to have to get used to the idea that He's God and you're not. The Lord comes to Abraham and He asks some things of him. I want you to notice, first off, that God asks of Abraham His attention. Before the Lord asked anything of Abraham, He got His attention Those that won't give attention to God won't give anything else to Him. You listen to me this morning? Those that won't respond when God speaks won't give anything to the Lord. 
That's indicative of the way that they perceive their entire life. Do you remember what it was like when your kid was a teenager? Do you remember when they went through that I know phase? You know what an I know phase is. It's, hey, you know about, I know. I know. I know people that are still in an I know phase. <laughs> I know. Son, you better. My dad still does it to me, and I'm guilty of it sometimes. He'll say, Dad, he'll say, Son, you need to check oil in that car. I'll say, I know, Dad. I know. I know. I guess I'm one of them that's still guilty of it. And probably when you were a teenager, you were like that too. And they'd tell you, they'd say, Now be sure and buckle up when you, I know. Now be sure you check the uh, pressure in those tires. I know. Now be sure you're home before I know. Some of you wished you hadn't said I know so quick. Some of you are bearing scars because you said I know too quickly. Both emotional scars and physical scars, spiritual scars, because you said I know too quickly. See, the truth of the matter is, you weren't going to do what they said anyway because you had it already figured out. Now, come on now. Some of you raised kids and you know what I'm talking about. You weren't going to do it anyway because you had it already figured out. Let me tell you something. As Christians, we're just as bad about it. It's funny to me. We do more arguing with God during altar call time, I think, than we do in the entire rest of our Christian walk combined. God will come along. And let me tell you something. It's gracious for God to speak to us. Neighbor, we do not deserve that. I mean, let me tell you something. Anybody in your life that ignored you as much as we ignore God, you would have quit trying to give them advice a long time ago. You would have quit speaking to them a long time ago. You know what you would have said? You said it ain't doing no good. I'm not going to fool with it. They don't listen anyway. Thank God that even all the times that I've turned my ear away from the Almighty God of heaven, of all the times that I've said, Lord, I know, He still comes along with that sweet, precious Holy Spirit and pricks my heart and says, Son, you're going astray. Son, you're going astray. Son, this in your life isn't right. God came to Abraham. The Bible says that He came and He tempted him. He wanted His attention. He wanted Abraham to respond. He wanted Abraham. Some of you, God's been trying to get your attention for a long time now. And you're going to wake up one of these days and find out that he's going to get your attention in a different way. I mean, I'm not threatening anybody. You know me. I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't look at me. I'm fuzzy. I'm cuddly. I couldn't hurt a fly. I'm not threatening anybody. And listen, you ain't got a thing in the world to fear from me. But whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you be without chastisement, then are you bastards and not sons, the book of Hebrews chapter 12 says. I'll tell you, neighbor, it's not me that you have to worry about. And you listen, let this be approved in your own conscience. If God, if this isn't the situation in your life, then I guess the Holy Ghost ain't talking to you. But if this is the situation in your life, take it as a divine warning. If the Lord loves you, and he does, he chastens those he loves. I believe chastisement is real, don't you? I don't believe God does it because He hates us. I believe He does it because He loves us. I believe God loves us enough that He's willing to put us in a whale's belly if He has to. That's how much God loves us. That's how much God loves you. He wants your attention. And He's going to get it however He has to. I was a youth pastor for a little while. And it's amazing what you see being a youth pastor. And uh, it kind of tickles me to get to see Brother Kerry, uh, you know, going through these things and, and learning these young people the way that he is and watching their lives. As a youth pastor, you could see the chastening hand of God on the lives of young people at times. And thank, thank the Lord that sometimes it wasn't worse than it was. But you know why? Because young people tend to be a little bit more sensitive. Some of us get buried in our callous hearts 
And we get fortified against letting the Lord have His way with our lives. And sometimes God has to jerk a knot in us. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have seen it in the lives of your kids, your grandkids, your friends, your family. You've seen God put people in sick beds to get their attention. Absolute surrender begins with Him asking for your attention. He not only asks for His attention, this is where it gets tough for us. You know what He says in verse number 2? Take thine son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. The Lord asked for His attention, but the Lord asked for His treasure. God asked for the most precious thing that Abraham had. Is that too much for God to ask? I want you to answer honestly in your heart of hearts. Because some of you, some of you are going to say, you're going to nod and you're going to say, no, and that's fine and praise the Lord and He's owed it. But in your heart of hearts, you're really thinking there's some things in your life that you've said, Lord, that's too much. God, that's too much. Lord, that, that's too much time. That's too much money. That's too much effort. Hey, that's too much lack of security. That's too much danger. That's too much. I'd rock my world too much, Lord. I'd turn things upside down, God. I can't do that. You know why God asked for your treasure? See, He wasn't interested in Isaac. Listen carefully. He was interested in Abraham. When it came right down to it, thank God in heaven that He stopped the hand of Abraham when He was willing to take His son's life. And you know what He said? He said, Now I know that thou fearest God, and that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. Listen carefully. This is the key from me. You believe what you want about that angel, but I believe that was our Lord and Savior. I believe it was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I believe it was what we uh, theology students, if you can call us that, call a theophany or a Christophany. It was a pre-Bethlehem incarnation of our Lord and Savior. And you know what he says? He says, Abraham, I asked it of you and you gave it to me. But what he really says is, now I know that thou fearest God. Got no use for, listen carefully, God ain't got no use for your money. He just knows for some of us, that's how he gets us. He ain't got no interest. Listen, God ain't got no interest in putting you through trials except to bring you forth His gold. He's interested in you. That's who God's interested in. I mean, God is interested in us. He wants all of us. Do you hear me this morning? You know what we're guilty of? Listen carefully. We're guilty of doing this. We have one throne on our heart. One throne. One place of ultimate supremacy in our lives. You know what we do? God blesses us with something. You can make anything an idol. And usually the things we make idols out of are the very things God blessed us with. What did the pagans make them out of? The wood that God had grown in the trees, the rocks that God had formed in the ground, the gold that God had put, and the silver that God had put in veins in the earth. They took the very things God had given them to make idols out of them. And a lot of times an idol is something that is good in our life that we've taken and elevated to an ungodly level. And we've got something in our life. And you know what we do? We treasure it. It's precious to us. We don't want to lose it. Maybe it's a little one. I'll share a little personal experience with you. Me and my wife talked about this. We were, and most most everybody here knows, uh, that we had lost a a baby to miscarriage. And, uh, you know, we we were nervous. I'm going to be honest with you. We was nervous when when she wound up, uh, you know, with child again. And we said, well, you know, what if it happens again? And we both prayed through, and I'm, I'm not talking about I established this and she followed along, and I'm not talking about she established this and I followed along. I'm talking about individually, both of us prayed through. 
and came to the conclusion that this baby, like that baby, belonged to the Lord. His to take if he wished to do it. It's not ours to understand that. But you know what we tend to do? We take that which is precious and we want to hold on to it, so we lock it away. We set it on that throne. and We make it the most important thing in our life. What's the Isaac in your life? You got a son or a daughter and they're your Isaac? You won't lead them right because you're afraid you'll make them mad. You won't, you won't point them in the right direction because they might get upset at you. You won't guide them and lead them because what if they get upset? Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a spouse. And you won't tell them the truth and pray for Listen, I'm not talking about being obnoxious. I'm not talking about pestering and annoying. I'm talking about in godly love living Christ in front of them. But you don't want to do that because they might think you're crazy. That might upset them. Maybe it's a monetary thing. I could go on. Listen, neighbor, there's a lot of people on the lake today in boats that God blessed them with. And on the golf course with the health that God blessed them with. They've taken the wood that God's grown and they've taken the rock that God has put into this land and the gold that He's put in the earth and on and on. The things that God's blessed them with and they're using that to make an idol to worship unto. And that's what they're spending. You know what worship really is? There's no clear definition of worship in the Word of God that can be nailed down, but we have examples of it. Can I use this, ter- this term, worth-ship? Worship is ascribing worth to something. You know what we do when we elevate something above God? We're saying that's more worthy than God is. Anything that takes the place of God, even in a minimal way, you say, oh, preacher, I ain't praying to that boat. I ain't praying to that camp. I ain't praying to my child. I ain't praying to this relationship. I'm not praying to that. No, but if God come along and said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, you'd take and you'd pull that key close in your hand to that lock that you put on your heart. And you'd say, no, Lord, it's too much. It's too much. Don't ask that of me, God. It's too much. We've got young people here. Maybe it's the future plans you've got. I know what it's like as a young person to have everything figured out. Maybe it's the plan. Maybe you've got everything figured out. Let me tell you something. The last thing I ever thought God would do with my life is make a preacher out of me. I think I think the jury's still out for some of us. <laughs> Last thing that I ever thought God would do with my life would be to do that. I had my plans. I had everything set in order. But God came along and He said, Toby, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. I had a choice to make. He asked for my treasure. Let me give you a third thing. You know what he asked of Abraham? He asked for his trust. That's really where where the rubber meets the road. That's really what this whole thing boils down to is trust. Who's going to hold the reins in your life? Who's going to be the one to control things in your life? You see, you know what the issue was? Abraham had wanted a boy for a long time. He had finally, through the energy of his flesh and through his own will and his own way, he had conceived Ishmael. God had driven Ishmael away from his presence. And he was waiting now. Isaac, the son of promise, had come. You see, with Isaac was Abraham's future. You understand that? Isaac was the promised seed from which the nation of Israel would come. All the promises of God were vested in that little boy. All of it. And now God says to take him and kill him? Take him and kill him? You know what it says in the book of Hebrews chapter 11? It says that Abraham reckoned that God was able to raise him from the dead. You see, the issue was... Abraham looked at it and said, God, I can't figure this out. 
but I'm going to trust you. What we don't like is this. We don't like when God comes along, changes our plans. And we ain't got it all figured out. We don't like to say, Lord, I'll trust you. I'll trust you. I don't understand it, God. But you've asked it of me. I'll trust you. God, I can't make heads or tails out of this, but you've asked it of me. So I'll trust you. Lord, I don't see a way that could be made, but oh God, I'll trust you. You've never done me wrong. That's what God's asking for from you. He's asking you to trust Him. Trust Him with your kids. Trust Him with your spouse. Trust Him with your finances. Trust. That's what it's all about. Trust. Trust Him with your life. Trust Him with your future plans. Trust Him. God said, Abraham, you just lay that boy in my hands and let me take care of it. We see the request of absolute surrender, but we see the response of absolute surrender. Verse 3 says, and Abraham rose up early in the morning. I would say first off to you that Abraham responded without hesitation. Without hesitation. You know that we're the, one of the biggest plagues in the Christian life is hesitant obedience. That's what it was really about with Jonah. Jonah wouldn't have had to go through everything he went through if he had just gone and done what God asked of him the first time. Our problem is we want to wait. We want to wait. And you know what we're doing? We're playing chicken with God. We're waiting to see if another out comes up and another plan B comes up. There ain't no plan Bs in this walk of faith. God has one way, and that's His way. And if we're going to do it the right way, we've got to do it His way. Anything else is insufficient. 99.9% surrender is still disobedience. It takes absolute surrender. To be in the will of God. He did it without hesitation. He rose up early in the morning. He didn't wait. He didn't say, well, Lord, you know, I'll pray about this thing. <laughs> you know, that works with other people. But that don't work with God. Yeah. I mean, you can say that to just about anybody, about anything. I mean, it don't matter what it is. And I, I think as Christians, we're guilty of using that as a cop-out and as a reason to not act. And we'll say to others, people say, hey, you all do this. I catch myself saying it all the time. You all do this. We say, well, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll pray about it. We'll pray about it. And I think, brother, if you're as carnal as I am, sometimes, 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 just what we mean about that is no. No. Not going to do it. He responded immediately. Immediately. But let me say he responded without hesitation. He responded without protestation. Abraham didn't say, now, Lord, that ain't going to work. I've been guilty of saying that before, have you? I've been guilty of saying that to God before. I've been guilty of looking at God in heaven and saying, Lord, that ain't going to work. Or what about this? Lord, I don't like that plan. I don't like that. I don't like that. God, that's not what I had in mind. Since when was it ever about what you and I had in mind? His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. I'd begin to get a little worried if God wasn't a level above me, wouldn't you? He responded without protestation. He didn't say, now, Lord, I don't like this. I don't like this. God, this isn't fair. Oh, my. <laughs> How many times is that? You know, nine times out of ten, when the old man rises up, he's already got his fist in the air shaking it at God. How many times has your flesh rose up and looked at your spiritual man and said, you're nuts if you follow God? You're crazy if you follow him. He responded without protestation. I would say he responded without stipulations. <laughs> How many of you, uh, you know, it's amazing. It's me. You go down to the, to the flea market. Any of y'all ever been to the flea market? 
Where y'all get your fleas from? Y'all get them through the mail or something. You go down to the flea market. You can haggle about anything. My mama growing up, she'd haggle, she'd, she'd haggle with the mailman. And, and she wouldn't even, I mean, it, it didn't even matter. She'd get other people's mail doing it. I mean, it, that's just how mama was growing up. And she'd go, she'd go to Walmart and get 10% off for no reason just because she's giving the manager a headache, you know. And, you know, it's amazing the bargaining inclination of mankind. You know, we do that with the will of God. We do that with the will of God. Lord, I'll do that, but you're going to have to promise me this. No, God don't have to do nothing. He's God, neighbor, and you're not. That's not trust. Trust does not come with stipulations. Just obey Him. Abraham didn't say, well, Lord, now I'll be willing to do this, but you've got to make me a promise He's going to come back down. Lord, I'm willing to do this, but you're going to have to make me a promise that everything's going to work out all right. That's not absolute surrender. Your problem when you say that is you... You know when we bargain? When we think we got a bargaining chip. We bargain when we think we got leverage. That's when we bargain. And your problem is thinking that you've got anything of your own anyway. It belongs to God. And yours to bargain with. It's a gift of God. We see the response. I'm going to give you a final thing. We see the reward of absolute surrender. We see the presence of God. You know, when Abraham surrendered... God showed up. There's such thing as the explicit presence of God, but then there's such thing as the experiential presence of God. So what do you mean, preacher? I mean, God is always there, but it's good when He shows out. It's good when He shows up in a big way. I mean, I understand He'll never leave us nor forsake us, but there is a way in which the presence of God is manifest in our lives. There is a closeness, there is a peace, there is a joy from knowing the presence of God in our lives. And when Abraham surrendered, God showed up in a big way. God showed up. You know what, you know what, you know what God did? First thing God did was took the lad out of his hands in the beginning of the chapter. By the time you get to the end of the chapter, he's taking the knife out of his hand. You'd be amazed if you'll put things in God's hand, what he can do with them. You'll be amazed if you'll trust him with it, what God is capable of. We see the presence of God. We see the peace of God. Don't you know that it felt good for Abraham when when the Lord, verse, I believe it's number 13, said, don't slay Isaac. I wasn't looking for Isaac, Abraham. I was looking for you. You know, you'll find this out one of these days. And I don't mean that arrogantly. My flesh has to find it out daily too. But you'll find out one of these days that God's a little better at this thing than what you think. You'll find out one of these days that if you'll give your life to God, He's got it under control. Say, preacher, what if He calls me to the mission field? Then you'll have the peace and presence and provision and joy of God in a foreign country. Preacher, what if the Lord calls me into full-time ministry? Then you'll have the peace and the presence and power of God in full-time ministry. Say, Lord, what, what if God changes my finances or my work situation, my family situation? What if He changes what I'm going through? He's still God. He's God now. He's going to be God then. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Just surrender to Him. And He'll take care of it all the time. Verse number 13 and 14, we see the provision of God. The Lord provided a ram caught in his horns in the thicket. Abraham names the place Jehovah Jireh. 
And the, uh, the description that's given, this is not a definition, but the description of Abraham's heart is found immediately following when it says, In the mouth of the Lord it shall be seen. But the actual meaning of the word Jehovah Jireh, the name Jehovah Jireh, is the Lord will provide. Let me tell you something. You may not think it's going to work, but if God's in it, it'll work. You may not think. You may not see a way. Nine times out of ten, we don't. Nine times out of ten, we haven't got... Listen, if, we, if we've got God figured out, we've just deceived ourselves. You hear me? But you'll find, you'll put it in His hands, He'll do more with it than you ever imagined. I believe it was old Mr. Elliot, the missionary, eaten by a cannibal tribe, that was famous for making the statement that God always gives His best to those that leave the choice with Him. Your problem is in trying to run things yourself. God's dealing with you about something. You'll find the best thing you can possibly do is just wave that white flag. Put those hands up. Say, God, I want your will and I want your way in my life. You can do it your way, but there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, and the ends are of the ways of death. So the question I've got this morning is, you got any fight left in you or are you ready to surrender? Are you ready to surrender Hey, if full-time ministry is God's will for your life, you ready to surrender? If changing your job situation is God's will for your life, you ready to surrender? If the trials and difficulties you face with loved ones, if that's God's will for your life at this time, are you ready to surrender? You ready to throw those hands up and quit trying to figure it out yourself and look to an almighty God that's offered His blessing and provision and His guidance? I wonder how many that have their own flag raised right now would be willing to take that flag down and raise the white flag of surrender to Jesus Christ this morning. You may be here and lost, and you've been fighting it and fighting it and fighting it and fighting it. You're fighting a war you're going to lose. One of these days you'll be bound hand and foot, cast into the lake of fire. Or you can determine that today's the day you'll surrender your sin and yourself and your independence to Jesus Christ and in faith call upon Him to ask forgiveness of your sins. And to save you. And you know what? You know he'll do it. I know that ain't fancy. I know that ain't eloquent. It may not even be powerful. But he'll do it. He'll do it for you like he did it for me. He'll do it for you like he did it for a lot of people in this room. He's willing to save today. The problem is we're not willing to be saved. I wonder this morning if God spoke in your heart. If you'd be willing. It begins with attention. How's God going to get your attention? Has he got it this morning? If he has, I hope you'll surrender your life and your heart to him.